The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening and welcome. Welcome, everybody. So tonight I'd like to talk a little bit about metta, this uh, practice of loving-kindness. Some of you know that I'll be teaching a retreat on loving-kindness, and so this is a little warm-up for me. <laughs> kind of like a dig into the topic. And, and so I'm sure many of you know that metta gets translated in a number of different ways, classically, or maybe commonly, I should say, it's loving-kindness. But also we could use this idea of goodwill. Some people use friendliness. Some people use, I've heard, care, warm-heartedness, all kinds of different ways that we might understand metta. But one thing that maybe distinguishes metta from these other words, like in, in English, just, just love or goodwill, is that it has a quality or it's characterized by freedom. So it's this goodwill that has this quality of freedom associated with it. And there's a number of ways in which we might understand that. You can't hear, so I think the volume needs to be a little bit higher. There we go. Is I don't know, is this louder? Maybe not. Maybe I'll just keep on talking until uh, things... Oh, there we go. There we go. That's, you can hear now, right? Yeah. So this goodwill, this... Uh, sometimes this word love. Sometimes it's not so easy or appropriate to use the word love because, wow, love sometimes has this lot of baggage associated with it. But we might just um, also define it as this heartfelt concern for the welfare of others, for the welfare of ourselves, for the welfare of everybody. So this heartfeltness, this, uh, yeah, I like this word, maybe concern for the welfare or care or something like this. And there's a way in which it's practiced, probably many of you know, this is a formal practice, I'll talk just a little bit about that. But it's practiced in such a manner as to develop this care, this warm-heartedness, metta, so that it expands into maybe even boundlessness, or that it expands to unconditional So this is what I mean by it's characterized by freedom, is that it doesn't have limits, and it doesn't have conditions. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But what what does it mean to not have limits, or what does it mean to not have conditions? And so I appreciate very much that uh, in this tradition, there's this teaching and this experience of we don't have to leave this feeling of warmth, this feeling of care, to chance. We don't have to wait until just all the right conditions show up, that the perfect person who deserves it has treated us just the way we want, or has done whatever we want, and then we'll have this uh, loving-kindness. 
no, we can cultivate this and develop it for everybody. And of course that's a practice because that's not the usual way that uh, we move through the world or that we consider others or maybe even the way that we consider ourselves. So it's definitely something that can be cultivated. And there's a number of ways in which it can be cultivated. A common way is to repeat phrases. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. These are four common phrases. And they're just repeated in the mind silently to oneself. And then the may you be happy. So the you, who that you is, kind of like changes as we move through categories of individuals. Often starting with the easy being. This can be kitten, puppies, babies, coach, mentor, benefactor, somebody who's really supported you and in which you have an uncomplicated relationship. So the absolute easiest. And then often oneself, and then often a neutral person, somebody that we might see in a, on occasion in the neighborhood, and then a difficult person, and then to all beings. So kind of like extend, uh, expanding more and more individuals. But there's a way in which that uh, we might think, well, how does this work? And does it work? <laughs> Does repeating these phrases in a meditative state or even while doing things uh, in our daily life or while walking, does it really have an impact? And there's this way in which um, it actually does, and but there's some ways in which we can support this uh, cultivation, this maybe expansion of this loving-kindness, this metta, that all of us already have. We're not creating this de novo. We're not creating this out of nothing. We're just maybe allowing it to grow, allowing it to expand, to meet more and more people, more and more conditions. And it turns out that one of the ways that can really support this cultivation is to have a certain confidence that the practice works. Because otherwise, sometimes what can happen is, we'll say, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. I don't feel anything. <laughs> is this what, you know, I, this doesn't work. What are they talking about? I can't do this. Is Does this work for anybody else? And so there's a way that we kind of like just stop doing this and the mind starts wandering or something. But there's a way in which we might think about this uh, practice, like saying these phrases is uh, maybe twofold. One is, we could think about neuroplasticity. We might use this language, you know, it's kind of like modern language. In fact, what we incline the mind towards becomes the inclination of the mind. It's not a secret, it's not rocket science. We all have had this experience ourselves. But there's a way in which also we might think about it as planting seeds. And so saying these phrases is just planting a seed. And in the same way that with farmers, right, they plant seeds, but 
they can't see what's happening underground. In the same way, we can't see what's happening when we're saying these phrases, when we are repeatedly coming back again and again to these phrases. So somebody once asked, does this mean that we fake it until you make it? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? And uh, kind of like hesitant to say that, right? Because we don't want to be like faking anything in this practice, right? Kind of all this practice is, you know, we're just showing up for what's happening. But maybe we might say there's a little bit of fake it until you make it happening with loving kindness practice. And I say that with a smile on my face because there's a little bit of whimsy there. But this also we can say is just like having some confidence that even though we're not like at that moment feeling anything in particular, might even be feeling bored, we might be feeling aversive, we might even feeling the exact opposite of loving kindness, which is so often the case. It's like, may you be happy. And then um, I've had the case definitely when I've been doing loving kindness practice. And, oh my gosh, I just, all these like, really, <laughs> the worst things that you can imagine would come up in somebody's mind about the person who was just sitting next to me. They had nothing against this person sitting next to me. I just happened to be on a retreat and this is just what kind of came up and spilled out this poor person. You know, I don't even know who it was. So there's a way in which we're doing loving-kindness practice and all of the opposite of loving-kindness comes up. The hatred, the ill will, the aversion. But if there's a way in which we can just have confidence, like, okay, this, this happens too. This is part of the practice. And as best we can, just to be coming back to the phrases, coming back to our intention. So we're not trying to manufacture or cook up or engineer or trick ourselves into feeling anything or having any particular experience. It's more that we're just like creating the conditions in which it makes it more likely that those that experience of loving kindness will arise. And if it doesn't, it's perfectly okay. We're just practicing. The plants, the seeds may be germinating, but you know, we don't see it yet. So I like this um, expression that uh, Rob Berbea has said about loving kindness. Sometimes when we hear these teachings, we might have this idea, like, you know, there's supposed to be this unconditionality or this boundlessness, and there might be this feeling like, really? Do humans really do that? <laughs> Is that even possible? Like, it's just, instead it sounds like some rarefied or maybe something that's been passed down through the ages that doesn't actually happen, feels unrealistic or a bit too much, maybe too contrived or something like this. So um, Robert Bay uses this expression, we don't have to think that we have to be the squeaky clean meta machine. <laughs> so this idea that we're just cranking out like meta nonstop, like a robot or something, practice isn't like that. When we hear the instructions, we might think, oh, this is what we're supposed to do, just say these phrases and then out comes some loving kindness. But there's a way in which 
it can sound like dry or not only something that's just like supposed to maybe magically happen, but not only that, it can feel like the uh, Robert Bayer points to this. This he, the way the reason why he used the word machine is it can feel like well, if I'm saying these phrases, there is a way that it doesn't have any of our own self-expression or doesn't have any of our personality or doesn't have any of how we practice showing up. And so in some ways there might be some hesitation to do it because it doesn't feel maybe authentic or it doesn't feel, it feels maybe stifling. But it's important to know that there's a way in which A, we can modify the phrases there's nothing magic about those particular phrases that I just shared. We are welcome and encouraged to modify them with a certain parameters. The parameters are keeping them simple and not too specific. For example, not like, may you get that job that you want on Tuesday at 9 a.m., you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's more like, may you be happy. So something that more general like this. But there's a way in which this uh, loving-kindness, the manifestation, the expression, the arising, is really unique for all of us. Because it's not just one thing. This metta isn't just a, do I have it, do I not have it? It's more like, how, how is it getting expressed or how does it feel? Sometimes it feels really like a physical thing, some warm-heartedness in the chest. Sometimes it feels bubbly and bright, and maybe like joyful. Sometimes it feels really calm and smooth. Maybe sometimes it feels like it has this quality of healing to it. Or loving-kindness metta might just have this quality of gentleness and care. So there's all these different ways, these different aspects that can show up in these different ways that can be experienced. And certainly how it shows up is different for everybody. It's certainly different during different times of practice. Maybe at the beginning of a meditation session, there's absolutely nothing. And then maybe it shows up one way and then morphs into another way. But I just wanted to recognize that sometimes it can feel uh, maybe even oppressive, like I to say these sayings, these phrases over and over again. But it's enormously powerful. It's going to be really powerful. And so I've been talking about the conditionality unconditionality of metta. So then there's a way in which we might be practicing and we might be noticing that, well, maybe we do have some conditions on some of uh, the people in our family that we care about or you know that we love, but sometimes they're irritating. Sometimes they, we have like, well, you know, when you do that thing, makes me feel less warm-hearted towards you, something like this. this is, we're all humans, right? This is part of the human experience. We all have relationships, a number of different relationships. Or maybe it's the opposite. 
maybe we feel like there's people in our family that we feel this real attachment to. So it's not uh, this kind of Robert Bay's expression, squeaky clean. There's this feeling like, of course, like we feel so attached to our partners, our children, our family. And so we might uh, be practicing love and kindness and we might feel some of this, oh, I do have some of this attachment. Oh. I do have some of this conditionality. For example, if we're using a friend or a family member as a person we're doing loving kindness. And sometimes there might be this temptation, like, I'm not doing it right, or everybody else is doing it, or this, what, maybe I should use a different category, maybe I shouldn't use this person, or something like that. But there's also an encouragement to just notice, oh yeah, this is what attachment feels like. Oh yeah, this is what conditionality feels like. And to just be with that, and just to recognize that's part of loving-kindness practice as well. Right? It's this movement to unconditionality, this movement to boundlessness. Of course we need to learn and be familiar with What are the conditions? What are the feelings that are limiting? What are the attachments? Of course we do. So just part of the practice is to experience them. And then there's a way in which we just can fold that into the practice too. And maybe have some of this loving kindness, this warmth, this care, go towards this attachment. Go towards this conditionality that we're having. So rather than trying to be dismissive, like, I can't do loving kindness for this person or at this time. Just like, oh, okay, there's that attachment. I don't have to get rid of this attachment. I just need to notice it. Be with it. See it. The same with the conditionality that we might notice. Because there's this way in that with loving kindness practice, we want to include our humanity. We want to include our complexity. We want to include all the different aspects of ourselves and our lives. Which means it's not, you know, squeaky, clean, nice, neat, and tidy. All of our relationships have different aspects and elements to them. Of course they do. Of course they do. And so there's this way in which loving-kindness practice, for some people, just feels like, I don't want to do that. And maybe they just don't even know why they don't like it. But part of the reason might be because they have this idea that it should be, you know, super clean, ideal. And it's easy to see that. I know I certainly did. I heard about loving-kindness practice. First time I really heard about it was on a retreat. And... It's really off-putting for me because it just all of a sudden put up all the ways in which I wasn't being kind and to others and to myself, and it made me just feel bad, so I didn't want to do it. But there's this way in which we can, I don't know, hold the complexity, the messiness, the reality of our lives. And for me, that feels more fun and kind of a relief to like, okay, to put down this idea that loving kindness has to be in one particular way and to recognize that instead there's this 
learning process that happens with loving kindness practice. And part of the learning is conditionality and limits. So loving kindness practice, it certainly has a role in Buddhist practice. There's a number of different roles in which it has, in which we might uh, work with loving kindness practice. And maybe I'll just say it's a really broad brush, really broad stroke. I would say in Buddhist practice, we can make a gross generalization and say there are some cultivation practices and there are some letting go practices. You know, that's a false dichotomy because often letting go is cultivating and cultivating is letting go. But just for the purposes of this, I'll say that, so loving kindness is part of cultivation practice. In the same way that mindfulness, concentration, ethics, maybe we could even say some wisdom, there's a way in which those are cultivated. So metta, loving kindness, friendliness, goodwill is definitely part of one of those practices. But interestingly, loving kindness, metta is also related to effort. Some of you will recognize that right effort is the sixth step in the Eightfold Path. But when there's too much effort, when there's this striving and this tightening and like this really, I gotta get this, there's something that's gotta happen. In whatever practice we're doing, most often implicit in that is there's a me here who wants to get something over there. And that over there might be like later in time. So there's this real sense of lack, a real strong sense of me, a real strong sense of things aren't quite right or the way that they shouldn't be. And instead, something else should be happening. Whereas loving kindness practice is more about a sense of abundance rather than lack. And it's really more of a softening of the sense of me having to get something. There's even less of a sense of me and a less of a sense of I have to get something. So in some ways, like loving kindness practice is a way to, it can be an antidote or a way to work with the sense of striving and straining, which turns out not to work so well. And meditation practice, it works in our professional lives. It works for education. It might even you know, work with uh, gardening and some of our hobbies, right? So working and striving certainly works in certain situations. And it'll work a little bit in meditation until it doesn't. It can only get you so far. This is where the cultivation and letting go has to go. So letting go of striving and straining is definitely a part of practice. So loving kindness practice is a way that can support the right amount of effort. Because the right amount of effort, this is such a delicate thing in all of our practice. And we might even say it's part of the art of practice is no when to lean in and apply a little bit more diligence, a little more effort, 
and when to back off. And this is something only with experience we kind of learn. But with loving kindness practice, maybe increases the sensitivity. Because loving kindness practice is an opening, and when there's a straining, that's a closing. So we could feel we're a little bit more sensitive to this straining. And we, maybe because it's a loving kindness practice is an opening, and yet there's still a practice, helps us to not have two lacks of effort. Because we're keep on coming back to the phrases, so it's not like we're opening and then going to sleep or something like this. So loving kindness is also can be a support for the amount of effort. There's also a way in which we can say, as I alluded to earlier, like saying these phrases, we can feel like, I don't want to say these phrases. It's one thing to say it in meditation, but I don't want to say it, you know, off the cushion. I, I have important thoughts to think. I, have a, I need to be creative. I want to be self-express myself. And I don't want to, while I'm doing the dishes or walking or whatever it is, uh, do these phrases. Well, if you have a meditation practice and if you've ever done some meditation and daily practice and you looked at your mind, maybe you'll notice. How often do we get like stuck Right, and we're just kind of thinking the same thing over and over and over. There's a way in which we get a little bit entangled with something, and there isn't anything new thoughts happening. It's not creative. It's not really moving things forward, and it's not necessarily supporting our life. Or how many times? Just even some of the trying to remember the grocery list. I know sometimes I'm doing this, like, okay, Diana, remember to get the A, B, C, D. You know, sometimes I do remember, sometimes I don't. But there's this, many of the thoughts that we have aren't as helpful as we might think that they are. Often we're berating ourselves, criticizing ourselves with this, like, under the radar, this, chatter that's maybe accompanying us. Or maybe there's this way in which we're thinking unkind thoughts about other people or thinking unkind thoughts about the situation. I can't believe they let this happen. It shouldn't be like this. And who's in charge here? Or, you know, we're trying to blame others or something like this. So it turns out to have a loving kindness practice to be saying these phrases and just regular life is a way in which it might be replacing some unskillful thoughts, some unhelpful thoughts, some unhelpful thought patterns. And not only might it be replacing things that are unhelpful, it's creating the conditions in which there can be this sense of ease and connectedness and warmth and care. And our lives unfold so differently if we have that sense of ease and care and connectedness. This is what so many of us want in our lives, to feel like there's this, some peace and some uplift and a sense of well-being. So there's a way in which it might make a lot of sense, actually, to doing some loving-kindness practice, not only as an official practice, 
while we're on the cushion, but also in our daily life to repeat repeating phrases or while we're doing walking meditation. So certainly we have uh, mindfulness or insight practices. We can also be choosing loving kindness practices. And I know some people that have uh, you know, said, okay, for these months, all my practice is just going to be loving kindness. It turns out to be really transformative. It turns out to really do some of this rewiring, this neuroplasticity, it turns out to be a real thing. And it softens and loosens up some of the things in our hearts and minds to have a regular loving-kindness practice. And then maybe I'll end on this uh, topic. Sometimes when we talk about loving-kindness, when we're talking about metta, we're often thinking like, you know, for other people, and often the, the examples that I've been giving this evening have been about that. It turns out it's so important to have loving-kindness for oneself. And for many people, this turns out to be not so easy. It's difficult. There's many reasons why it might be difficult to really appreciate ourselves and send love and care and warmth to ourselves. It could be, you know, messaging that we got from our family or from school or something like this, friends. But I also want to just highlight that uh, there's cultural reasons too, that there's a way in which uh, it's kind of like there's mixed messages, it might uh, seem, that we, certainly here in the United States, we have this culture of individuality, like we take pride of, you know, like I can do it, I can pull myself up from the bootstraps, like we have this kind of expression it's not true in the way that we think it is, but that is kind of something like, you know, these cowboys had to go out and make, do something. So we have this sense of, you know, I can do it. Or, or there's also, we see more and more this idea of me first. I'll, I've got to take care of me and make as much money as possible or, you know, whatever. And, okay, yeah, okay, you guys are okay, all right, but really me first. Right? We see a lot of that. So you might think like, oh, that promotes this sense of love for oneself. But it turns out there's also this message of it's selfish to take care of yourself, to do things for yourself. There's a way in which it's um, indulgent or inappropriate to take time for yourself. And that's why there's often there's talk about self-care. We have to like remind people, you have to take care of yourself. You can't just always be giving to others. So there's like both of these messages are just out there in the culture, all mixed up. And we have received a number of different ideas in our minds. But it turns out that, you know, loving kindness for oneself this needs often is a real practice and to work with this inner critic that's always telling us that we're inadequate, insufficient, more has to happen. You can't rest until A, B, and C. 
and D have been acquired, attained. And then, have you ever noticed that as soon as you get A, oh yeah, but then there's E also. And then as soon as you get, you know, one, oh yeah, and there's this, right? It's never ending, never ending. So, metta for oneself. It turns out to be a big topic. This inner critic often makes it not so easy. Maybe here I'll just say briefly that uh, there's a, it's helpful to just start where it's easy, absolute easiest, babies, kittens, puppies, whatever it might be. And then here's the tricky part. Stay with that category. Stay with just with kittens and puppies. People want to do kittens and puppies and babies, and they feel good, like, oh, okay, now I feel a little bit of menta. Okay, now I'm going to use this menta and use it all the problems in my life. I'm going to use this as a tool, or I'm going to shoot out menta to everybody else. And that works a little bit. But what really works better is to stay with wherever it's easy, kittens, puppies, babies, whatever, benefactor, coach, mentor, teacher, whomever, is to allow the loving kindness to start to bubble up and just stay with there, stay with this category. And then what happens is it just starts to bubble up and then it just starts to leak out. You can't help it. It just starts to leak out, and it starts to leak out, and they say about yourself and other people without you having to direct it. So there's a way in which we often, like we experience it, but there might be a way in which we need to fill up the tank, so to speak. There might be a way in which we need to really roll around in it in some way, and there's a way in which often people have this kind of like this starvation of this sense of love and warmth and care inside and well-being. And so allowing oneself to really drink it up for as long as it takes, as long as it takes, a day, a week, a month, a year, makes absolutely no difference how long. And then it just naturally flows out. It just naturally flows out to ourselves and to others. Often, loving-kindness, when it's taught, it's not taught that way. It's taught we do this category, and then just for pedagogical reasons, go to the next category of individual. And then for pedagogical reasons, whether you're ready or not, the teacher goes to the next category. So the part of the discipline is to, like maybe here, oh, the teacher's doing that, but I'm not ready. I, I want to stay here. There's no timeline, absolutely no timeline for this to happen, for this to work. So loving-kindness, metta, goodwill, friendliness, warm-heartedness towards ourselves and towards others. Really powerful practice. I could talk more about some ways in which it supports Buddhist practice as well as, well as ways it supports our lives, but I won't at this time. Instead, I'll open it up and see if there are some questions or comments.
Does anybody have anything they'd like to say or ask? Well, I'll say something. Uh, Thank you for your talk. Um, I've made metta the practice that I do before I got out of bed in the morning. Just as a way to prepare myself for meeting things. And the um, a couple things came up when you were talking. One was like starting with the easy category and then sort of sending out feelers to see can I like well what if I think you know like what if I offer to this person what's that like this morning right now? And you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, that's possible and yeah, not not <laughs> And, and sometimes being surprised, you know, nice. like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I didn't. And uh, the other image that came to me was something Gil talked about. Um, kind of like doing yoga. There's there's a way of doing this. I don't know. It's a sun salute or something. If you put a phone book, there used to be these books called phone books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you could reach down and you could touch the phone book. And then each day tearing out one page, you know, and then like it takes, you know, I don't know, a year or something to get one more inch. But, you know, it's sort of like just that tearing out one page of the phone book each day. Very nice. I love that. That's great. That's great. Thank you. I was talking about like seeds germinating, but tearing out a book. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else have a comment? Thank you for the talk. Um, so the way you explained it, like I am also, like I find it very hard to be appreciative of myself. I have this tendency of criticizing myself a lot. And when I try loving kindness, it just doesn't seem to work, especially like, you know, in times of stress, it can sometimes be very difficult to stick to a practice uh, which takes very long, uh, which takes a very long time. As in, like you know, if it has to spell to myself, then if I have to stick to the practice for a very long time, especially in terms times of stress, it can be like really difficult. So, how do I kind of make myself stick to it when it's like not paying dividends on a short time frame in in some way? Is it just like you have to believe in it and stick with it, or? Are there some other tricks which work for people in general? Yeah, yeah. No, this, thank you for uh, asking. This is a, gu- a good question. So there's a way in which uh, loving kindness, when it uh, usually for that easy be the be the person that's the or person doesn't have to be a person kittens puppies babies etc. We choose whatever is easy because hopefully we might imagine that there can be some warmth or some something uh, that happens. No guarantees, right? But usually there is something that's uh, a little bit pleasurable about it. Maybe we could feel a little bit uh, relaxing of the body when we think of, I'm just going to make this up, a baby, like a new baby in the family. It just uh, makes us really just so happy to think about this baby, so cute. And and so to tune, so we're doing loving kindness practice, but also 
to tune into like what's happening in the body, it's usually a pleasant experience to feel like, oh, so cute, and I wish the best for this baby. Like they have this whole life in front of them, and they're so adorable. And so there's this uh, can be this relaxation, as I mentioned, but also I'm going like this because often there's some warm-heartedness in the um, chest, or there's can be a way there's a little slight tingling associated with it. And to allow yourself to really enjoy that pleasurable experience. It might be subtle, but what happens is it grows. And so that uh, pleasurable experience grows and grows and grows and can encompass the whole body. So it's when you're saying it will take a long time, it won't be like something that you have to force yourself to do. It might be you have to use some might have to use some effort to initially start the practice. But if you stay with the easy being, it usually ends up being a pleasant experience. I'll say that. And then maybe something else I'll just say as an aside, that um, for a number of years I taught what we call like a happy hour. It's something that's um, on Audio Dharma. And um, I did a series where I did the inner critic and loving kindness. I gave a series of I don't know, maybe 20 short little talks. Short being like 10 minutes, 5 to 10 minute little talks on this. So if you're, if this is something you want to look into, you could look on Audio Dharma and there's a whole uh, little series on this of a number of little things to do. And that includes guided meditations also. So sometimes that can be helpful if we feel like, I can't do this, I don't want to do this. Sometimes listening to a guided meditation can be a support. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yes, uh, one more comment here. Uh, thank you for the talk. Um, so, uh, one question is, uh, why do we categorize as uh, all this, like myself, others, like friend, and, and instead of saying just all beings, be happy? Uh, if doing just uh, that versus doing these separate things, um, I'm trying to understand uh, what's the difference. Um, yeah, I think there's another question, but I'll... Yeah. So the question is, why categories instead of just all beings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, all beings is more of a concept. That's an idea. Like, we don't know all beings. Of course we don't. So it's much easier, actually, turns out. It's much easier to have, like, loving kindness for all beings because it's... We're, we're not in contact necessarily with the people that get under our skin or the people that we don't know. So the practice is to be with actual individuals in the beginning that we know. Because like even with our friends or our family that we're doing, right? It's, there's sometimes a little bit of difficulties in those relationships, but to still have loving kindness anyway. And that's where the practice is. And so, and then one of the one of the categories is neutral people. So people we don't know, but the instructions are as best you can to find a neutral, a single neutral person, somebody that you see in the neighborhood, or maybe somebody that you see at the grocery store, or something like this. So, can you send goodwill to an individual that you don't know? And that turns out to not be so easy. So that's a real cultivation practice. Thank you. Uh, my sh- second question is on uh, 
how do we actually practice this? Uh, you mentioned uh, the, the people who do this for the whole month instead of uh, uh, breath meditation or other ones. Uh, and also, like I think, uh, during the day, repeating this. So, uh, on a practical instruction level, or like, uh, how do we actually do this? Like, uh, yeah. When you remember, you just bring to mind, uh, may you be happy, may you be healthy, safe, live at ease. Um, and you could start with a lovable, you could start through categories, or if you're in your daily life, and you could just, when you see somebody on the sidewalk, you see somebody at work, you could just do it for that individual, or you could do it for yourself. So there's lots, you can play around with it in your daily life. It's just when you remember. So you can like set the intention. When I remember, I'm going to do these phrases. And then, of course, you won't remember. And nor is it appropriate. Like when you're working or reading, you're not going to be doing that necessarily, but something like that. And for the sitting practice, um, instead of the breath meditation, do this? or Yeah. Okay. And there's, if you're interested, there are hundreds. Let's think about this. We did this five days a week for three years. Yeah. So there are hundreds of guided meditations for loving kindness on audiodharma.org if you want to listen to, uh, to, and it's still happening. So there's on audiodharma as well. It happens, it happened tonight, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. So Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. It's loving kindness practice. Uh, that's on, uh, Zoom. And you, if you look on our calendar, you, you'll the IMC calendar, you'll see it. So, okay. thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think with that, uh, I'll end. So, thank you for your attention, and wishing you a lovely rest of the evening. Thank you. And if you have more questions, you're welcome to come up here and ask me. <laughs>